Good morning, church. I got their attention out there anyway. They're coming in. <laughs> Welcome to El Paso Bible Church for, the, you, for those of you who are here in attendance and for those of you who are watching online. Hope everybody got a bulletin to know what the activities are. The only thing going on to, today is the youth are having a pool party. And it's in the bulletin. Uh, I do have a special announcement. There's going to be a, a wonderful Christian uh, concert coming up in September at the El Paso County uh, Coliseum cast, featuring Casting Crowns, Annie Wilson, and With Kane. So three fine groups will be here at, uh, in El Paso. We don't get many um, solid uh, events like this for, for Christians. And so September 22nd, and there are these little flyers out there that you can pick up and hand out to friends as an outreach. If you want to open your Bibles to uh, 1 Corinthians 1.18, I'll be reading from there. Before I do that, though, I want to give a special thanks to uh, Norma Turin for uh, providing a, a wonderful cream of, cream of cilantro soup for Janice and I on Friday, as well as some other things. We really appreciated that. All right. Let's read uh, 1 Corinthians 18, chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolishness? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? That he has. Why don't you bow your heads with me? We'll pray together, then we'll sing together, and then worship in the word. Father, we do thank you for today. You've given us another day to, to live here on this earth. Father, I want to pray for those who are not with us, who can't be with us for any number of reasons, sickness, health, traveling, there are a variety of reasons that people aren't able to fellowship with us in person. We pray for them, Lord. We know that, uh, we do know that the pains of this life just are revealing to us that this is not our home. Our home is in heaven, and the things that we deal with here, the things that we suffer through here, will be behind us when we reach that. So we pray for the return of Christ. I pray, Lord, for our service, that you would bless our singing together as we worship the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good morning, church. Would you stand with us?
this covenant is blood support me in the overwhelming flood when all around my soul gives way
worship our King. Come, let us bow at His feet. He has done great things. See what our Savior has done. See how His love overcomes. He has done great things. He has done great things. Holy bad. 
morning. It's coming from somewhere else than it normally comes from. Hi, Kaylee, you're not on the front row. Uh, children, you guys can go to Children's Church. Uh, I believe we have both sets of Children's Church today, right? It's always, VBS week tends to wear the tread down a little bit on some folks, so I, I'm always tentative to announce that. Um, been a great week of VBS. Uh, we actually had somebody come up and pick all the decorations, and they're going to reuse them, so you can hardly tell that VBS happened this last week, but it was uh, a fabulous uh, week, uh, well-oiled uh, as far as functioning and plenty of volunteers, and um, the Word was taught and received. We had about uh, between, we had a little bit of a modulation in our attendance more than we normally have. We had a couple days at 45 or so, and mostly, but 60 was Monday, so 59 or 60, which is a pretty good group. Uh, for us, and so that was wonderful. 
So thank you guys, those of you who made it this morning, who, did, who survived VBS and still could come to church. Thank you. Let's give them a round of applause, right? Uh, my wife was not one of them. She got, got some kind of a virus on Friday, so she wasn't uh, able to be there on Saturday or, uh, or here today, but she's doing better. So thank you for your prayers for her. Um, I'd appreciate your prayers because I have had a stroke of stupidity lately. I know that's not surprising to y'all, but sometimes I am not aware of it when it happens. Uh, and that is that I have agreed to teach a class for Chafer Seminary in the fall. Um, and so that's a little bit more of a commitment than I normally add to myself in the fall. So if you would pray for me also uh, in that process. Um, and also if you'd like to take that class, it makes it very easy for you to do that. Um, we're going to be doing a Bible exposition class from Genesis through Ruth in 14 weeks. So it's going to be faster than my normal pace also. But you can do that. We can make it happen if you'd like to do it for audit or for credit. Either way, we can make that happen. Larson, did I bring you to tears with that news? Are you okay there, man? All right. Larson's actually weeping over here at the news. I didn't think it was that moving, but uh, yeah, it, it is. All right. You know, sometimes the word just gets you. you know. But uh, let's pray for ourselves, right, this morning before we get started. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to come, uh, no matter what has been our experience this past week, where, whether it was uh, the high of seeing so many children learning about Jesus at VBS this week or something else. Uh, Father, we thank you that we can sanctify this time uh, to fellowship with each other and to learn from your word and to have the Spirit work in our lives through it. And we thank you for that process. And we thank you that it is a supernatural thing that you have ordained for us to do, and we have the opportunity to do it at such regular intervals here. And we thank you for it. We love you. We thank you for the life that we have simply by grace through faith in your Son. And we long to be with you, and we hope that we see him today. And it's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're here we are in 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 8. It's actually kind of a, we're breaking up sections that wouldn't necessarily have been broken up. Uh, but remember what Paul is doing with, with the Thessalonians, he's reminding them of something, right? So they were familiar with what he was teaching them. He said, don't you remember this? I said this to you over and over and over again while I was with you over and over and over again, kind of that iterative imperfect. So every time I was with you, we talked about some aspect of this, he says to them. Uh, this was happening. Uh, and so we're, we're having to break something up because actually there are things in Second Thessalonians in this section that are not anywhere else in the Bible, actually. And so this is, these little, this short book here is quite important to our understanding of what it is that we're doing today, what we should be expecting to do until we stop breathing. Uh, we used to say stop breathing, end up in a box in the ground, but almost nobody does that anymore. They end up in an urn on the shelf so frequently now, you know. People choose uh, to be cremated, which is, uh, you know, an interesting choice. Uh, for some to make, but often it's cost-related, right? So we're looking forward to that point, right? Our whole lives. What are we doing for Jesus, for the Lord? How do we engage in afflictions? Uh, how do we engage persecutions and difficulties and problems that we have in our lives? And how do we alter the manner in which we would normally view those things, right? You, you know that it's a matter of perspective if you're a parent right? Do you love your children? <laughs> okay. I'm going to tell you what Jesus wants you to do right now. When I ask you, do you love your children? You're supposed to raise your hand. Yes, you love your children. Do they perceive of you as their primary afflictor in life sometimes? Yes. It's a matter of perspective. Because we love our children, therefore we do what is best for them in our judgment. In the judicious application of our discernment, we do what is best for them, and that may be perceived as, as affliction by our children. Hopefully, eventually, they grow out of it before they hit 45, right? Some of them don't, apparently. We're supposed to understand God's justice towards us. That in his justice and in his judgment, in the valid application of his divine discernment, he has judged us, right, he's, he's decided for us that it is better for us to have the opportunity that comes with afflictions in our lives. And he has 
justly done that. It is just to reward his children for faithfully engaging afflictions. And it is just to judge, even to condemn, his children's enemies. It is just that we would encounter these things that enable us to be counted worthy of the kingdom that is to come. And we can engage in those things knowing that that's an opportunity that we're being given through our endurance. And Paul writes this letter, right? His main objective is because he wants them to maintain their composure, right? He said, I don't want you to be quickly disturbed. I don't want you to be deceived. People were sending letters with Paul's name on them all the time. Um, Which I guess is a little better than sending totally anonymous things. By the way, um, we don't have a suggestion box at El Paso Bible Church. We don't have one. Occasionally we get suggestions anyway. If you want them to stay out of the trash can, put your name on them. Okay? Just FYI. Unsigned communication gets trashed. That's just my philosophy. So if you have something worth, in fact, don't even write it down. If you have something worthwhile, come and tell the person that needs to hear it about the suggestion. That would be even better. But this was signed with a false name, right? Pseudepigrapha is what we would call it, under a pseudonym. And it was disturbing them, saying that, no, 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 the afflictions that you're experiencing are not an opportunity to be kind of worthy of the kingdom that is to come. This is the day of the Lord, guys. This is already it. This is, this is the wrath of God being poured out on the earth. And people would say that today, by the way. A lot of people would say that this is, in fact, a tribulation. Um, look to other people looking at the same events would say this is the kingdom of Christ on earth. This is Jesus reigning somehow from his throne with a rod of iron. Somehow, I don't think that's going to be in question when Jesus is actually ruling over his kingdom as with a rod of iron. But I think right now, if you were to go and you were to ask Vladimir Putin if Jesus was in fact telling him what to do, I think that he might not know that he's being ruled over with a rod of iron, right? My simple answer to that is because he's not. This isn't the kingdom, and it's not now, and it is future. And so we need to know that in order to maintain our composure, just like the Thessalonians needed to know that. We need to know that this isn't the tribulation, so that we can maintain our composure when we engage afflictions and persecutions and difficulties in our lives. We need to know the things in this chapter, and one of them is we need to know that the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, is being personally restrained, right? That there is a he using a what restraining the man of lawlessness from being revealed. Um, My understanding of that is that that is Jesus working through the church, And that the church is the body of believers in Jesus Christ who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And it is Jesus' work through the church that is restraining the Antichrist personally. That's how that works. And under that control, under Jesus' control, he will decide when that restraint is removed, when the church is removed, when that physical departure, the apostasia, takes place. And, and Paul tells us, don't be distressed, because you can see the mystery of lawlessness at work. Uh, you can see how people are being conditioned, how the governments of the world are operating in order to be utilized to deceive the many and to create the circumstances that the Antichrist will use to accomplish whatever his goals are, whatever his aims are under the sovereignty of God's plan. Now, I find that to be comforting. A lot of people have trouble being comforted by the fact that that the Antichrist is being personally restrained right now because they think that that tells that the world is just this big cesspool. If that's news for you that the world is one big cesspool, (laughs) I don't know how you're supposed to be surprised by that. That's not surprising. But see, I try to operate my life, and, and actually it spills over to the philosophy of ministry that I have, and, and actually just the philosophy of how I do almost everything, is uh, we call it the KISS principle, right? Keep it simple, stupid. 
I like to have the smallest number of moving parts possible because I understand that that is the most reliable thing, right? Generally. Yes? No? Right? Do you all work with machines? The more complex the ones are, the, the more they break, right? Every woodworking tool I have in my shop was probably made about the time my grandfather was born on this principle. Old for machinery as it goes. Nearly 100 years old for most of the big pieces. I find that to be very reliable. And so it is a comfort to me that I can acknowledge from Scripture that one, the most powerful individual in creation is personally restraining the activities of the Antichrist rather than some mishmash smorgasbord buffet of human governments that are supposed to try to cooperate, right? Isn't that, that's way worse, right? The simplicity of Christ's restraint is a great comfort to me because I have great faith in his power, in his sovereignty, in his wisdom, in his absolute righteousness and perfection so that I can trust him to restrain until the time comes that he determines when he removes himself. Remember, it's a middle voice verb there. He removes himself from the restraint. These are things that we, they needed to remember. That wasn't new information uh, for them. Some, for some people, it is new information. It's new to a lot of believers these days. Remember, these aren't old believers. Their, their spiritual birthday, when they trusted Christ, wasn't that far back there. But you find people that have been believers for 40 and 50 years that have never actually even thought about these sorts of things. What is the next thing we're expecting related to the church in, in the history of humanity on this world? What is it? The rapture. Somebody said it. The, we're, we're expecting the very next thing is that we will be face-to-face with Christ. We will meet him in the air, and we will be with him forever. First Thessalonians 4 tells us that. The very next thing. So, guys, let us not run around the world like we have an expectation for it to be anything more than a cesspool and that we're going to engage anything other than opportunity to become worthy of the kingdom. We need to have confidence in that, to understand what the world is doing around us. We need to understand that that's where we are. This isn't the wrath of God. You didn't make a mistake, nor is it the kingdom. Those are the people I feel the worst for, the people that look around and say, this is the kingdom of Christ. Yuck. How do you believe in Jesus' faithfulness and goodness and righteousness at that level? When you have people saying, well, we're just going to float a yacht on the, in the Gulf of Mexico so people can continue to kill their babies in utero. That looked like the rod of iron. That's what a group is doing, by the way, since it became illegal in Texas to, for abortions. They're just going to float a yacht down in the Gulf of Mexico and ferry people out into federal waters. Does that sound like the kingdom to you? Are you, your silence is deafening. It doesn't sound like the kingdom to me. No. No. Thank you. Okay, one person. All right. That's good. We've got one person that knows the rapture is coming, one person that knows that that's not the kingdom. Those are the people I feel the sorriest for. The tribulation guys, well, I just think they're wrong. As we know, right, the, the day when he is revealed, that day is coming. The restraint is going to remove himself from restraint, and the man is going to be revealed. And, and it is important, right, because these are events that you're not going to experience on the earth as the church. You're gonna, these are going to happen. He is explaining this, right? But it's important that they be written down and recorded because people will experience it. The church will not experience this on the earth. But they need to know what's taking place, the humans who will be here. And some of the things that we will experience will have been history at that point such as the rapture. And some of the things 
they will need to know, and it's important that we know the sequence of events. So he says in verse 8, we're going to continue. This is actually in the same thought, right? He just said, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he takes himself out of the way. That is, excuse me, then that lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. As the lawless one will be, will be revealed, it's a passive verb. It means that he's not even in control of, y'all, of anyone here knowing who he is. He's going to be revealed by someone else. When the restraint is removed, he will be revealed. People will recognize him. It's something done to him. It's not something that he controls. He will be an impressive being. But he will not be in charge of what's going on at that time. And the primary thing that people need to remember when they see that revelation, and that's the word apocalypto, it means to reveal. And Paul describes it this way. He says he states his beginning and his end all in the same sentence. He will be revealed and God will slay him. Jesus will slay him with the breath of his mouth. He will be executed. That's the first thing that we ought to remember when we understand that he'll be revealed is that he will be executed by Jesus Christ. The primary thing. By the breath of his mouth and his end, the end of his kingdom and his activities will be brought about by the, uh, the epiphania, which means the, the powerful revealing of Jesus' presence, of his parousia, meaning his coming in glory, his coming in power. The second coming is what we would call that. And he's going to bring his kingdom to the earth, the second coming. Verse 9 says this, that is the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders. In that day when he comes, there's going to be a pretty impressive show actually. There's going to be a powerful display of signs and wonders, false wonders. And it's in accord with Satan's work. All of Satan's working, subject to God's sovereignty, certainly, but working in the world, on the earth. And those who are enemies of the saints were justly judged for their own behavior, right? Those are going to be deceived by these things. And with all the deception of wickedness for those who are perishing, verse 10, because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. There will be people on the earth who are fooled by these things, signs, wonders, and deception. It's in accord with Satan's work. In fact, it is, I guess you could almost say that it's his magnum opus. It is the the highest and best It's his best effort, right? It's not going to look like those little cars that you drew in kindergarten. We all drew the same car in kindergarten, right? It looked like a a cartoon hearse almost by the time we got done with it. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be amazing, impressive, right? It'll be deceptive. And those who are perishing, we'll talk about this here in a second, are going to be deceived by that. He's vested with all the power. Right, with all that power that he has, with all power, with all signs and false wonders. These are things, right, in Scripture, signs are things that are designed to validate somebody or something. They're designed, right, to, to cause someone to believe in something or someone else. That's how we see it in Scripture. In fact, Jesus performed signs. John mentioned seven of them that were given so that people would believe in him as the Messiah. He has signs and false wonders. He is vested with tremendous uh, abilities to deceive at every turn. It's not going to help that I think our current trajectory of human history is designed to make people more gullible. (laughs) But in the end, he's going to be able to deceive and have a, a tremendous ability to do that. Part of the reason is that he's going to have a deception for every circumstance. That's what it means when he says he has all deception of wickedness. 
You'll have a deception all of the time. You know somebody like that? Somebody who's a pathological liar? You know what a pathological liar is? Somebody who lies for no reason? They lie because they can. They lie because not, they don't even have a purpose or a reason for it. This goes beyond pathological. He has all deception, all wickedness, all lies, all the time. The entire thing is a counterfeit. A deception for every circumstance. And he says, my, my NASB kind of punts a little bit. He says, for those who perish on their behalf. That he's gonna, it kind of gives the indication that he's going to deceive all of them who are perishing. And that's true, but actually I think the dative should be something else. It should be in those who are perishing. In other words, he's not only deceiving those who are perishing, but he is propagating deception through them. They are kind of his preachers of deception. So the people are engaging with this. Doesn't, that, doesn't peer pressure come to bear on what people believe? If a bunch of people are being deceived and they all believe and are all deceived about these lies, it influences other people. We have a saying um, that in people's perception, preachers have this saying, it's kind of pessimistic, so don't be offended by it, but that error preached often and loudly enough becomes truth. For most people. And that's kind of what's happening in this passage in the future. He's not just proclaiming lies 24-7, but he's going to propagate his deception through the mouths of many people who are perishing. He describes them with all deception of wickedness in those who are perishing. It's a participle. Because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. They've refused salvation. They've refused rescue, deliverance from their being dead in their trespasses and sins. And having done that, they're going to become instruments of deception of the Antichrist. For this reason, verse 11, God will send upon them a deluding influence. A deluding influence so that they will believe what is false. That bothers some people to talk about that, right? We, we, we do not understand Scripture to teach that God has declared individual, individuals particularly to perish. But you need to understand what is being said here. These are people who have refused to receive truth's love. Or love's truth, you could understand either way. They've refused to receive life. They've, received, they've refused that. They've refused to acknowledge and to believe in Jesus Christ and to receive the life that they have been given, uh, offered, excuse me, offered through Jesus Christ. It's a deceitful work, right? And God sends upon those in the tribulation who have done this. This is not a work that he's doing now, by the way. This is, some people really mess this up. It's something that happens in the tribulation for those who are perishing, those who have rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ, rejected Jesus Christ. And they are sent a deluding influence for this purpose that they would believe the lie. That they would believe the counterfeit gospel of the Antichrist. That they would believe in the person of the Antichrist. So we ought to talk about that because I've said that, you know, it, it is a difficulty for some people to, to understand how God could do that. But we need to remember how somebody goes to hell or, or stays dead in their trespasses and sins. How does, for all of humanity... Right? We're not talking about you guys. Can, you, can believers in Jesus Christ ever be separated from Christ? No. You can't just wake up one day, fall off a log, and be outside of the grace of Jesus Christ. But humanity in general, what does somebody have to do to go to heaven when they die? Okay, hold on now. This isn't the rapture. This is something y'all ought to remember. I'm sorry. We're all a little tired today, especially if you've been through VBS this last week. Right, Adina, you were dancing on the stage the whole time. She was leading the scene. Surprised she can, you know, walk straight after all the jumping up and down and everything that she did. What do you do 
in order to go to heaven when you die? Believe in Jesus. Yeah, that's, I'm glad we can at least pull that out of our tired brains this morning, right? All of us are a little weary. We believe in Jesus. Now, say somebody is foolish and they decide they want to go to hell. What do they do? What do they have to do? Not believe in Jesus, right? Do they have to believe in something else? No. They don't have to. Now, if they do believe in something else other than Jesus Christ, they, that also counts. But what is most prevalent in our society now is for people to say, so I don't believe in anything. I don't have faith in anything. I don't trust anyone. Anybody? Y'all heard that? I mean, these are people who get their news off of Facebook, so you have to take it with a grain of salt, right? I don't trust anyone. I follow the science. Right? Now, y'all, you're leaving me hanging here a little bit, guys. I realize we're tired, but you've heard this, right? I don't believe anyone. I don't trust anyone. We went from when I was a trust but verify, right? <laughs> so I don't believe anybody. I don't trust anyone. You don't trust anyone, that'll take you to hell too. And that's what we see today, right? It's not that everybody's choosing something other than Jesus, although many people do. Many people do, but the thing that is growing is simply a lack of acknowledgement anyway, of faith in anything, trust in anything. That, that is enough. That will send you to hell. If the rapture happened today and you, have, you don't believe in anything, that will exclude you from the rapture, right? Because that's the church. That's believers in Jesus Christ and dwelt by the Holy Spirit. And if you don't make it into Jesus' presence at the rapture and you're still walking around on the earth, where do you end up sequentially? The tribulation, seven years right? So not believing in anything, not trusting anyone, not believing in faith as an entity to make any decisions in your life. You can end up in the tribulation not believing in anything, not having faith in anything, not trusting anyone. And during the tribulation specifically, there will come a time for those who have entered it, maybe believing in nothing at all, or believing in something other than Christ. When God will send an influence upon them so that they will believe in the Antichrist. They will believe the lie. Those are people who have already made their decision. They have rejected faith as a principle for living and for life. They rejected Christ. They've made their choice. And upon those who have rejected life in Jesus Christ, they now will be, have that, that perception that, that they don't trust anyone, believe in anyone, have faith in anyone. That's going to be changed. That's not going to be up to them. They're going to believe the lie. They're going to believe what the Antichrist is teaching. They're going to believe the signs and the false wonders and the power that he exhibits. That is going to happen. But it is not itself, it's not a determination of their destiny, right? They already made that choice, the fact that they believe in the Antichrist. Those who didn't believe in Jesus, who don't believe in anything, those people are no longer going to maintain just a vacuum of faith. They're going to believe. And they will become the servants of that deception. So that's a particular time that is a particular context, right? You should not extrapolate this. In other words, when you go and you share the gospel to somebody who is just following the science, and I'm not talking about with the virus or whatever, but somebody who doesn't believe in anything, wants to see the evidence in their life. Well, I don't believe anything unless I see it, or I don't believe anything if I just, if I can't touch it, right? And they reject you, that does not mean that God has sent them a deluding influence and that they will never believe and that they're not elect and that they can't be changed, that they can't alter that, right? That's not an excuse. Because this is future. This is a particular time and a particular context for those 
that are in the tribulation who have rejected Christ. Now, some people take this a little bit too far, and they will say something like, uh, and some very famous teachers teach this, uh, very admirable men actually, but I just disagree with them on this point, and that is that if somebody rejects Christ today and they enter into the tribulation, they do not have the opportunity to ever trust in Christ again. And I don't think that that's accurate. I think that's overstating the case. There's not a particular time stamp here on this inside the tribulation. There is a point at which it comes. Uh, but there will be a time where those who are remaining who have rejected Christ as Messiah will have a deluding influence on them. And they will believe in the Antichrist. They will believe in false signs. They will believe in false wonders and false exhibitions of power when they refuse their whole lives to believe in the real thing. And that purpose will be God's purpose to be achieved there. For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. The purpose is so that God judgment is just on those who have disbelieved. Those who uh, took pleasure in their own wickedness and the wickedness of the world. You Remember, the mystery of lawlessness is at work today. What that means is that I can see symptoms of what this may look like in the world today, even acknowledging that Jesus is personally restraining the Antichrist and that he has not released. And one of the main evidences that he is still under restraint is that you and I are here. But we can observe the mystery of lawlessness. We can observe those who take pleasure in wickedness today, right? On almost every corner. You see pictures floating around. I had 14 abortions and I enjoyed every one of them. Yes, have you seen those? They're out there, and I wouldn't go looking for them because they come along with other pictures that are worse. It's in your face. People that take pleasure in the wickedness of the world and their own wickedness, that are unrepentant about it. And they've rejected God's just, righteous, gracious provision for life, for justification, that they would simply believe in Jesus Christ and receive eternal life and instead wallow in unrighteousness and wickedness. God is just. God is just and he, re- he will judge those who reject his provision for righteousness. He will do that. Again, we, you, people sometimes get a little bit frustrated when we talk about things that are future, especially things. They love talking about the rapture. Don't y'all love talking about the rapture? We're going to be with Jesus forever. We're going to see him face to face. We're going to be with him forever. We're going to see all the people that we had to bury. That's a big one for me, guys, because I buried a lot of people, a lot of believers in Jesus Christ, people that I want to see again. I love the rapture. People get frustrated then when we get done talking about the rapture and we're talking about the people left here on this earth. I don't want to hear about that. That's depressing. Are you depressed this morning? You're not depressed? You're tired. Adina's tired. She just yawned right there when I said it. That's all right. I, I, if my mouth wasn't moving, I might be yawning too. I got, uh, you can probably tell, I look like I got in a fight yesterday. That's four bee stings right through my eyebrow right here. So I, if y'all got that, you still wouldn't be looking out of your right eye. You'd be Popeye this morning. Don't go away from this depressed. You should understand this as motivation. Because the solution, do you love people who don't love Jesus? Who don't know Jesus? Who don't believe in Jesus? I do. I can honestly tell everyone who comes in the door of this church, who comes in the door of my home, who buys eggs or honey or whatever from me, any of my customers that I run into, you know what? I love you because Jesus loves you. And here's what he wants you to know, that you can be with him forever. 
And the alternative to being with him forever is really terrible. It is awful. It is nothing but deception and wickedness and brings judgment from God. So if you love people that don't know Jesus, if you love people that haven't trusted in Jesus, who do not have life, do not believe the lie that the world tells you that it's all going to be all right, and then everybody who earnestly does whatever the heck they're doing that is not believing in Jesus is just fine and dandy by God, and it'll all be okay in the end. Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. And we need to use the truth of these things, even remembering, even refusing to be relieved of our composure, of being disturbed, of being distraught. We should be motivated, motivated to tell people about Jesus so that they can come with us. Right? That they can be with Jesus forever. Yes. Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead for us, but not for our sins only, right? He's not just our propitiation, he's the propitiation for the sins of the whole world. Everyone. You can have life and so can they. We need to share that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Uh, we do thank you that even though many of us in this room are weary, that we can still embrace the truth from your word, that we can look forward to your promise that the next thing that we encounter prophetically is, is to be with you forever, to be with your son forever, to be in his presence, to receive the reward that we have earned by faithful service to you when we stand before Jesus. And Father, we thank you for that. We thank you for the wonderful truths of the, that the future holds for us, that we maintain our composure, that we're at peace, understanding the place that affliction and persecution holds in our lives, that it is an opportunity and not something to distress us. Father, we thank you for that, and we love you. We'll dismiss with a song. You've been faithful through every storm. You'll be faithful forevermore. You have done great things. And I know you will do it again. For your promises, yes and amen. You will do great things. God, you do great things. the grave. You free every captive and break every chain. Oh God, you have done great things. We dance in your freedom, awake and delight. Oh Jesus, our Savior, your name lifted high. Oh God, you have done great things. You have done great do great